You're listening to Two Chunks and a Hunk. Movie musings for mostly everybody. two chunks and a hunk my name is jordan wonders and this week i am your hunk i'm doge and <laughs> obsession is a young talks guy <laughs> i have questions uh and i'm carter and you're familiar with the phrase man's reach exceeds his chunk it's a lie Man's chunk exceeds <laughs> his nerve. So bad. Being a stage magician is a complicated <laughs> profession. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't know Werner Herzog was in this movie. <laughs> oh, oh man! Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Truly Jordan. terrible impressions. Give no, us a break Doge. to laugh at ourselves. Honestly, no, Michael Doge, Kane was, was good. pretty good. It was because I put all these magnets in my mouth. Is that what that Ew, was? It was magnets? They were magnets. The size of a tangerine. <laughs> your first one was better. <laughs> I hate the sound of them against your teeth. It makes me want to dive out the window. Obsession. You're the young math guy. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, that's pretty decent. I'm just um, gonna do the whole. I'm gonna do the whole podcast like this. I'm feeling like yeah. it really helps. I can hear better. the spit in your mouth, and it's, it's that homemade cat scan going on over there. Oh, Carter, you sounded like Super Mario. <laughs> I did. Oh, hey Jordan, why are you the hunk? Oh man. <laughs> start. I I am the hunk uh we decided because I th- we feel like it's important. I feel like it's important. I finished uh I finished The Last of Us Part 2 on Monday night of this week. Very and nice. uh I feel that in case we have any listeners who have put themselves on the fence about this video game because of negative word of mouth surrounding it. I feel the need to come to its defense because I absolutely loved it. Um, All I'll say is this. Obviously, there will be no spoilers here, so don't worry. But all I will say is I played a different video game than the reviewers that I saw give this a bad score. Um, I think it's good to have that out there because this was like super anticipated. Right. And and I I think that the super, super low scores are... 
um, inexcusable, specifically just because even on a technical basis, this game is gorgeous. It performed really well uh, on my PlayStation, and um, it just plays really smooth. It's probably the best put together video game of this generation, I think. Um, but then on top of that, for me, you know, if people have story criticisms that they really feel strongly about, then, you know, that's valid and they're welcome to that opinion. But I just don't share that same opinion. And I yeah. think that it was a really masterfully made and put together story and video game. And uh, if you're into the first Last of Us and you can go in uh, without closing off yourself to enjoying it because of anything being said about it, I really, really think you will absolutely adore the game like I did. It's a, uh, I'm giving it a 9.5. Nice. From, when from you look Jordan. at the uh, stats alone, I mean, it's basically the PlayStation 4's Supernova. Like it's this oh, massive, it's sold more digital copies than any game they've ever had. Yeah. Like and I suspect, weekend. I suspect that we watch the score and the opinion start to head back in the right direction once people actually finish it. Mm-hmm. Once the people that paid for it actually go finish it and don't, you know, it's not just dominated by people that review bombed it day one. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to go down as an incredible game, regardless of public opinion right now before most people are done. Apparently, the stat is like 20 percent of people that purchase the game have finished it. Oh, yeah. Like it's a lot of people that are like, I want to go ahead and get it now or I had pre-registered for it. Yeah, or I don't have the time. They're waiting for the weekend, I bet. Apparently, there's a huge portion of people that got it and stopped playing it because they didn't like the story, even though I don't know how you can know that until you finish it. But mm-hmm. whatevs. So yeah. I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna steal you will always be the hunk on this day. But That's I have fine. just discovered something while you were talking. Um I, I, I got a new haircut, which I'm realizing makes me look a little bit like Batman animated series Harvey Dent. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. And so I was like, let me give it a shot. And so I was like, can I make it look like that too? When he becomes two faced, hold up. This is only for my boys. Cause it's a, it's a on-screen reveal. Nothing like a visual gag in a podcast. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's a good Batman animated series. Two face face. Anyways, that's pretty good. Yeah. So I'd throw that out there just for y'all. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's so brave of you. Thank you. Hey, speaking of brave, <laughs> we're not talking about that movie. Oh, we are Christopher Nolan's Pixar installment i need to take i need to take a break to watch whatever movie we are supposed to watch then because i only if you could change brave. your fate would you i mean it has a lot to do with that doesn't it hmm, it sure does no i was gonna say speaking of brave christopher nolan took a big old swing when he made this movie the movie we're talking about this week known as the, the prestige. prestige it is movie number three in our nolan series Man, we're already halfway. I know. That's we got, wild. what, four left? Three, Three left. We'll probably do Tenet when it comes out, but at it's some not going to be at the end of this series. In 2027, when it's safe to go to the theater again. Wow. Unreal. Hey, what I'd like to do in order to uh, start start talking about this movie is, Doge, I'd love to hear a synopsis from you. And boy, do I have one for you guys. This week's synopsis was written by someone who I think might be an actual stage magician. <laughs> okay. This is the magicist name. This is written Ooh. by J.S. Golden. Would Ooh. you guys go to like an old-timey theater if it was like, J.S. Golden is headlining this theater. You'll never Probably. believe the tricks he can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I would go. 
Come see the most spectacular man on earth, J.S. Golden, and his unbelievable tricks. See, that yeah. voice, though, makes me think that it's going to be like <laughs> close-up magic from the stage for the front row, and everybody at the back's just supposed to like ride the wave of wonder from the Come front. see J.S. Golden's faraway magic for everyone <laughs> in the theater. Okay, now you hooked me. Now you This guy's me. trying hard to get you to go to that show. Jordan Wonders, come to the show, please. Ooh, that's definitely magic if he knows my name. Yeah, if there's a poster with my name on it, I will go to the show. J.S. Golden writes, Two magicians who used to be partners battle over years in order to create a flawless method for the ultimate disappearing trick, the transported man, turns into an informal war between them. And soon they will do anything to be able to perform the trick sooner and better than the other, which as time passes makes their friends and loved ones get away from them and little by little <laughs> destroys their lives until they eventually succeed to, perf- to preform the trick, each by a very different way. Mm-hmm. It's valuable and yet a lot of holes in it. I think that's but the good. trick. That's J.S. That Golden's greatest trick is accurately describing this movie. Mm-hmm. But my favorite that I don't know what it is. Causing people to get away from you. Like when they're having that hard conversation and his wife's going to divorce her, he's like, I just have to, Alfred, I have to get away from you. <laughs> it's time for me to get away now. I have to get away. Want to get away? <laughs> Southwest. That Airlines. was a plug that I did not expect Airlines. in the movie. <clears throat> Yeah, that was that part was pretty shocking when Tesla was like, "I invented airplanes and also an I airline. invented the I invented the aeroplane." That's good. It I'll, really I'll is. Probably you're try doing Werner Herzog. I know <laughs> because Carter accidentally did Werner Herzog. <laughs> <laughs> Tesla coils are a complicated profession. <laughs> a complicated profession. So talking about this podcast, talking about this movie on this podcast is proving to be more complicated than I assumed it would be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everybody here has seen this movie before. Yes. Can you, you mean sh- like before this time to watch it? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm just, I'm asking because it, it seems like we've encountered everybody having not seen one of these at some point. So in the, in the realm of the prestige, can you put yourself back in the first time you watched it for a second? Are you able to like go back to that moment? Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I remember being completely i mean hook line and sinker yeah hooked on the first three minutes of this movie yep i don't know in fact uh, i'm just going to say the opening of this movie is my super pump because i don't know that i can think of a stronger opening in a movie than this one the Everything laid out for you. All the pieces that you need to solve the puzzle later on are given to you at the beginning of this. Yeah, they show you the top of the box. I mean, it is yeah. it is unreal. Everything from the bird to Hugh Jackman falling into the thing with the lock on it to the blind stage hand. I mean, it is just outrageously good. And yeah. um, I remember even even this time watching it, I was just like, oh, like rubbing my hands together, <laughs> so ready to go by the first. Did you and minutes. Callie watch it together? Yeah, we watch all we watch pretty much every movie for the podcast together. I mean, we do too, except for the blockbusted ones. A lot of those, Jess was like, "You got it. You can do that one. <laughs> you, you got this Callie one. suffered um, through those with me too. Had she seen this before? Yeah, this was her okay. second time, I think, to watch The Prestige. Jess, Jess had never seen it. And oh, every man. time they said something, I was like, like, look over at her and see if she had <laughs> figured it out yet. You know, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. uh, Jordan, I'm going to join with you. My my super pump is very, very similar. Okay. But it's it's how often I think it 
cur- the courage of Christopher Nolan. The courage of Christopher also is a an album name that I'm just going to yeah. put in my back pocket. But great. the courage of Christopher Nolan to just throw out little like uh like the whole "Do you love me?" Not today. Like yeah, all of dude. that little stuff. That's like he's like he's repeatedly being like, "Hey, here's what it is. Hey, here's exactly what's happening. Yep. Here's what's happening." But the first yep. time you watch it, it is still a reveal at the very end. The prestige of the movie, the prestige still holds up, you know? Yep. I don't think it's, I don't think Nolan was the first person to, I don't know. Nolan's definitely his, he kind of redefines several things, I think in movie making for me in directing and rewatchability is different with a Nolan film. Yeah. Especially with prestige. Like that's true. Rewatchability usually means, man, that's fun. Let's do it again, which he has, but in rewatchability for him, you're, you're seeing a new movie. It's a different movie. Yeah. Very much. You're saying the kind of stuff that like back in the DVD age, the reason you bought the DVD was because you were going to get the director's cut, right? Yeah. But you don't really get the director's lens until you see it the second time, which is really interesting to me and how I view that. But yeah, I totally back up y'all super pumps. Uh, that's it's not my thing, super pump, but. Because it's almost, it's almost the same thing uh, that I think I talked to you both about this after I saw Knives Out is like whenever you're writing a mystery you have to write two stories, basically. Like, you have to write the actual story, and then you have to write the story of somebody solving for that story. Does that yep. make sense? Like, there's uh-huh. two right. types of story. And so he has to write the, like, straightforward linear story. Um, and, and this was adapted from a novel, but the way that it's directed and put together is hugely influential. But, like, the there's the actual linear story of the first thing that happens to the last thing that happens, and that's interesting by itself. And then we mix it up and view the story of each magician trying to uncover the other magician's secrets. And that's an interesting story. And so it's right. just that kind of double nested stuff. I think we talked about the same thing with Memento. Yeah, yeah I think you're absolutely. right. And, and, and I think you just hit something that is so interesting about this movie is the idea of two stage magicians going head to head. I mean, you, really, you can boil down this movie to it is the story of two stage magicians going head to head over who's got the better version of a trick. That's yeah. really that's really what it what the movie is and even that sounds very interesting mm-hmm. as a concept but when you throw in the personal stakes and when you throw in the the prestige is the perfect name for this movie because even I mean the whole mystery right is how they're actually doing it like that is the whole reveal I don't know man yeah. it's just I really think that you know Memento is great Insomnio is pretty good Nobody had any doubts, I think, that Christopher Nolan knew how to make a movie. But, dude, it feels like with The Prestige, he just came out and planted his flag so hard and was like, yeah, I'm yeah. here. And we've already, we've already referenced it with Memento a couple of times. But I think we, we need to remember, like, Insomnia, he didn't write. Right. So, well, this is But him, him and his brother wrote, yeah. No, this is adapted from a novel. Yeah. Right, but I'm still talking like screenplay wise. Yes, right. Like yes, yes. this, there, his hands are from here on are as much in it as it was with Memento. Right, it feels he didn't write the screenplay, but yeah, um, or he didn't write the novel, obviously. But it's so good. It's so flip floppy. Like you know, I, I think we've seen before two characters that we're not totally sure who's the antagonist and the protagonist, right? And you go along like. That's it's not necessarily the Batman and Superman vibe, but it's the moment that you re, like in Killing Joke, like it's the moment that you realize like Joker and Batman are kind of a lot alike. They're just going yeah. about their lives with similar drive, but completely different ways. And so 
it's so interesting and I love it so much. I, I think towards the beginning, and I think we can go ahead and say it now, but my super dump, which I'm going to go ahead and do is, um, the attempt at saving the life of Julia McCullough. Um, I felt like I know for sure that having Hugh Jackman's wife die is catalytic to the rest of the story. Sure. Because this is when it becomes personal, right? Like this is this is when it becomes uh, you're willing to play the game now. Like you are, there are lives at stake. So we've got Christian Bell's character Alfred tying that knot that that we weren't weren't sure about, and mm-hmm. that's all good. But it's it's two parts. Part of it's kind of funny. It's like you think they're super prepared, and Michael Caine kind of gets painted as this guy who like you need to have him there for these moments. So why is, is uh, now let's go to the superhero world. Why, when Wolverine and Batman are standing there, does Alfred have the axe? Like why, <laughs> like I kept standing there like, and, and I guess they're in shock, but to me, they just didn't seem ready. And maybe that's part of the story is like, man, like why doesn't Michael Caine feel like he has more blame for the reason yeah. for her dying? The only one who's blameless is Hugh Jackman, or maybe he's even he's even got blamed too for putting his wife in this position. But that's I guess that's just what you do in the profession. The only one and who's blameless is the the Alfred brother who is not right there, the even there. there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He is not even there. And so, but yeah, just seeing Michael Caine take hacks at that, like again, this is two thousand six, which it's a funny thing. Everyone in this movie looks exactly like they do in two thousand six today. Yeah, yes. that's true. Uh, which is yes. really strange to me and why I can never remember when that that prestige was made almost two decades ago. Right. Um, but yeah, I was just so bothered by that because he was just hacking away at it and it took so many attempts. And I'm like, why doesn't the person responsible, like Christian Bale's character and the husband, like you, the, the, the show is already broken. Like you're not going to impress anybody. You're just trying to save the life. Take it from his hands because I yeah. think you're clearly stronger. And so I don't know. It's it does feel like there should be some sort of release or something, like that they pull a thing in the box, like falls apart. Right, but right? Th- that again, that I'm is super, super pumping on something that if it was if it was done a different way, I don't know if it would be nearly as dramatic. And it needs to be super dramatic right here. Yeah. Um. So, but I go. I thought I'd go ahead and say that because that's that figure still feels like the beginning of the movie to me. Not the first three minutes, but um, since we were on the topic, yeah. that's my super dump. I think that's fair. I think that's definitely fair. It's 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 hard in a movie like this to, you know, sometimes you watch movies and the super dump becomes glaringly obvious. And I think in movies like these they're they're present certainly, but it, it you know, you got to dig a little deeper to get to them, yeah. which makes it tough. Um I want to talk you got to you got to watch closely, you know. That's true. Uh I want to talk about the soundtrack for just a second. This is the same guy who did the soundtrack for Memento and Insomnia, right? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. This is so much better than either of those. Way better than either of those. This is so I'm I'm noticing something. Like in each of these, there are like there's a lot of elements of this that sound like like Hans Zimmer's later soundtracks for Nolan yeah. movies. Yeah. Particularly his work on Batman that he did with James Newton Howard. Um I'm wondering if so there's there's the thing of like uh we may have talked about this when we did when we reviewed The Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, but they used the Gladiator soundtrack uh, when they were cutting together animatics in the editing room. Basically, mm. like, here's like little pieces of like, here's what we kind of feel like the movie would sound like. We use this piece from Gladiator. And that's why they booked 
Hans Zimmer, uh, well, not Hans Zimmer, they booked uh, Claus, what's his name, his his student. Um, but that's why the soundtrack for Pirates of the Caribbean sounds kind of like the soundtrack for Gladiator. Right. Um, there's this whole thing in Hollywood with temp tracks. Uh, there, there are a lot of people that say temp tracks are killing the originality in Hollywood scores is because a director will be cutting something together and get their heart set basically on this sort of sonic palette and say, I want it to sound exactly like this. Right. Um, and I'm wondering how much of that has happened from, from this going forward, at least because, because Batman Begins was the next thing we did. Uh, and that's when we brought in Hans Zimmer. To so Batman Begins was the year before this. Oh, was it really? Yeah. 2005 for Batman okay. Begins. But I would imagine these projects are very close to simultaneous. Like working at the same time. Yeah. yeah. It's just interesting. Those, those kind of similarities because it's not the same composer, but it is right. the same director. So that makes me think there's some sort of temp track tomfoolery occurring in these movies. Right. And, and this composer, David Julian, um, if we were to play extra credit with him, y'all would think you couldn't do any of it, but you could do almost all of it. So his, of his top four credits, Prestige, Insomnia, and Memento are all up there. They're two, three, and four. And his number one is Cabin in the Woods. Hmm. Um, That's a great Which movie. is a super underrated movie that I think would be fun for us to do someday. But um, yeah, I mean, we are seeing... Like he needed Chris Nolan <laughs> too. Yeah. Like I wonder what the influence is, is of, you know, how much the director is also saying like, hey, I want this sound. I want to feel this way at this moment. Yeah. Um, Probably to where major. I think eventually, I think eventually Hans Zimmer just knows. Yes. And they've said that in interviews this, too. Like he, it's, it's, yeah. feels Nolan like a Williams. That, well, like Zimmer just knows what he wants each scene to feel and sound like. like yep. Like a William Spielberg uh, yes. relationship. Yeah. It's a good Very comparison. Good. That's a good comparison. But yeah, I, I just mostly I think I just wanted to point out how much David Julian had improved from movie to movie here by this point, because this soundtrack really is pretty great. And I wonder if there's an element of because typically soundtracks are among the last things to get finished. I wonder if there's an element of of Nolan was like, hey, listen to what Zimmer did for Batman last year that I really want that kind of vibe for this because yeah, right. Batman, Batman's also in this movie. Yeah, that's valid. Yeah. My favorite part was every time uh, Alfred walked on the screen, it was like, which is pretty cool. I did love that part a lot. So I think the, the scene where, we get the fingers shot off as a direct result of the death of Hugh Jackman's wife is, I don't know why in my head it is that scene that sparks the rivalry for real rather than the death of Hugh Jackman's Mm. wife. You know, it feels like it feels like Hugh Jackman's wife dying. That's the first action. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the first, that's the first thing that is a result of the death of his wife. But it's that scene that really feels like, okay, now it's on. I want to talk about that scene for a second. I've seen this movie a handful of times. That scene never gets less tense for me. Yeah. And I think it is the reaction of the people around, but I think it is 90, 90% Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale playing off each other in this moment. Yep. When Hugh Jackman walks up, the camera pans and we see him look up and we realize who it is just as Alfred is realizing who it is. The tension in the room is phenomenal yeah yeah and we had already been warned of the danger of the catching the bullet catching the bullet trick yeah and so we knew that there were stakes here and yet even still when the gun fires it's always shocking and i guess i guess maybe what i'm saying is like 
do you think that's a Nolan thing? Do you think that is a Bale and Jackman? Like, what is it that so successfully sets the tension here? I think it's the I'm, directing and the acting. Like, I think yeah, it, that that sequence both. is expertly directed and really expertly acted because you could have great actors, but if a director's not telling them what he wants them to do in that scene, then they're, it's not going to work. Or yeah. if you have mediocre actors, but a director who is articulating exactly what they need to do, it's not going to be believable. Yeah. I think they are in... These two actors get to play the manifestation of like the emotion. If they were to be known for something like they, they get to fall comfortably into, um, you know, Hugh Jackman is a master of showing that he is grieving, you know, prisoners, Wolverine, like that's true. Things like that. And then Christian Bale is just so freaking good at being arrogant, like American psycho, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Alfred in this movie. Like I I also think that he is good. Christian Bale is good at being conflicted is something that I've noticed in him. He he is able to show like turmoil very well. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes across well when you have to essentially play the same character from two different angles. Right. Yeah. He's he's you feel like he's making himself think that he is that character. Right. Yeah, I think he's really good at that. Hugh Jackman, you know another good grieving movie for him is like Les Mis. Like he's he does do that a lot. Uh Chelsea Even it Logan. was so fun watching this Logan is what I meant to say. Yeah, when I just said Wolverine, but I meant Logan. Um, Chelsea was so fun to watch this movie with because she was having like a legitimate conspiracy that all of Hugh Jackman's movies are in the same universe. <laughs> <laughs> because like at one point when we see, what's Hugh Jackman's character? What's his name in the movie? Angier. Angier. So when we're seeing Angier for the first time doing his transported man and getting the applause under the stage... I found myself being like, ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited for. Like it feels oh, so. Yeah. So here's the thing. Dude, I blocked uh, that movie from my brain. I forget I've that never movie seen exists. It. They could have happened within 90 years of each other, but historically, Lame is the setting of prestige, which would have been second, and then Greatest Showman with with Bailey. Like we're all in the same time and he's wearing kind of the same clothes in all of these movies. And so Chelsea was like, there it is. And then it was super funny. Like I wish I could super pump her commentary on this movie because she was on fire. But at one point when Michael Caine is talking about training Hugh Jackman's double, she was like, and Miss Congeniality. And I was just like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's right. That's so good. (laughs) They just keep making themselves over and over again with the Tesla machine. Yeah, uh, to to have the drive there, but I think that was so funny, dude. There um, is something deeply unsettling to me about Hugh Jackman with the fake teeth playing the alternate version of himself. That is such a like believable. Like this guy kind of like if he was in a movie and Hugh Jackman wasn't, I'd be like, that guy looks a lot like Hugh Jackman. Dude, it freaked <laughs> yeah. me. It freaks me out every time I see him with those teeth and the way he talks. It's just so uncomfortable. Yeah, the teeth in the nose. It's like someone took. Hugh Jackman and Joey from Friends, <laughs> and like mixed them together, and it was this dude. It's Hugh LeBlanc and alcoholism. Yeah, Hugh LeBlanc. Hugh, Hugh LeBlanc. <laughs> Hugh LeBlanc sounds like a foot surgeon, like an orthopedic doctor for sure. More like Shoe LeBlanc. Oh dang, dude! Yeah, I'm Got pretty em. good at those kinds of jokes. So the dueling journals is a sort of unique story element that I think works especially well in this movie. Um, it's Carter. You look like you got something to say. 
No, I'm just kind of like shaking my head at how impressed I am with Nolan. Yeah. Because yeah. when I there were so many elements of this movie I looked at, especially the dueling journals, and was like, boy, this could have been campy as heck. Right. Like this movie right. could have been so well and how freaking corny. Like, how did he pull it off? And and it's maybe a testament to the original novel because the novel is in it, like epistolary format. Like it's purported to be a collection of real letters and real journal entries read by their grandchildren. So in the movie, we eliminate the grandkids and they've just like kind of stolen each other's diaries. Which is great. Um, I think that which you is, take out a lot of characters out. Exactly. Um, but like we even have the same reveal twice. Like there's even a moment with both diaries where it's like, and you, yes, I'm talking to you. You mm-hmm. only thought I'd given you the information you wanted. And it's like, how do, do I, you do that? It lands Not only it once. Times. One, it's amazing that it lands once because that is so cheesy. But how does it land twice? I know. That's wild. Everything about this movie feels like it's in twos. Yes. Like it's all about a duel. There's always two twists. And the best part is you're being tricked to think that's not going to happen anymore. Yep. Like they're surely not, right? There's so many times at the end of this movie, the end was almost my super pump, that you think it's over. Like, well, that's it. Nope. Here's another twist. I remember pausing the movie and knowing it was almost over, and I'm like, wait, Chris Nolan gives me all of these most memorable moments with like six minutes left? Yep. Like there's so many twists in the last five minutes that yeah. don't feel rushed. For real. That I'm like, oh my God. Because I kept wondering like, when are they going to reveal that it's his brother? Right. I didn't realize it was till the absolute the very end. end. Yeah, I know. That we find out that it's his brother. Um, and I Christian Bale plays, I think, the most if if. Like right underneath Chris Nolan, Christian Bale is the most important piece to this movie being as good as it is. I think so too. And he is my super pump. Okay. Because while Hugh Jackman did such a good job of playing two completely yet looking similar kind of people, like him playing his double, I had forgotten he'd done that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because he does such a good job of it. For Christian Bale to play, you know, we talk about Guy Pierce having to act like he loses his memory every 30 minutes or so. I think it's even tougher for Christian Bale to be able to say, okay, now I'm not playing Alfred. Now I'm playing this other character. And that's like the rewatch. I don't think Christian Bale is my super pump the first time I watched this movie. Right. But the second yeah. and third and fourth and fifth, he's stronger and stronger and stronger to me. Yeah. Because there are subtleties. Like when you watch again, there are times that aren't completely blatant. And you know, you almost want to super pump the, the lady that plays his wife. Because Rebecca, of how just um, tormented she is by something. like, who, you don't love me yeah. today, you know, and, and all that yes. kind of stuff. But even the little things of the boy that sees the canary mm-hmm. trick when Christian, when, when Will's, or uh, when Alfred's just getting started and mm-hmm. he says, where's his brother? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we, and then he kind of, and then you get to have him have this realization. He's like, wait, am I found? Nope. And he's even telling the kid, he's like, wow, you really pay attention. Like that was the moment, a lot of like, intuition. Watching it right now, that was the, I looked over to Jess and just like watched her for like thirty seconds because it was like they just told you what's happening, right? Yeah, but that's the thing. Like that's even the speech at the beginning. You don't want to find it because you're not really looking. You just want to be yeah. swept along in the story, and you're not looking to see what the prestige is. You're totally happy to be carried along by the turn until the very end. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I think something even from a story perspective, not that not just a Christian Bale perspective, but. Um, thinking about the brilliance of just the moment that one of the twins had to go cut his fingers off at the same spot so that they could Oof. match. I mean, that's nightmarish. Just the level of, you know, think, just thinking about like, man, how long have they been doing this? Like how long have they been 
you know, living this double. It's yeah. just crazy. Um, well, that's what he wanted to do because he he admires so much. You even hear that, like, I think that's even before the Canary thing. It's like at the very beginning, the very first time they do a show and Alfred's watching that, uh, uh, oh, what was the name of the magician? It's based on a yeah. real life guy. Yeah, I'm trying to basically, it. It's Chung like Ling Su. Chung Ling Su, that, yeah. that uh, magician is was actually like that. He yeah. His whole life, he's playing this role for the sake of the show. He's just playing this this old man because he wanted it to be more exotic and he thought that would sell more. And in the end, he actually dies because of the catch bullet trick, the mm-hmm. bullet catching trick. And the very first time that anyone ever hears him speak English is when he says, I'm, I think I've been shot on stage and then drops. And dead. so he, he simultaneously dies with the reveal yeah. with the prestige that he was never. And that, that's just so crazy. Now you mentioned Rebecca Hall, the woman that plays Sarah Alfred's wife. Yeah. Do you think, I'm sure it was maybe, but just do you think it was intentional how similar her and Scarlett Johansson look to one another? I don't know. I don't think they're super similar. similar. I think to me, I think they look very like almost remarkably similar in some ways. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if I totally saw that, but I could see how that would be interesting um, with like almost saying that the twins have similar tastes. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Um, It's just strange. Yeah. I couldn't believe, like, I was like, this is 2006, and that's Scarlett Johansson, and she could just make Black Widow tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Like, she looks, she was 22 in this movie. Um, I, had and the a, prestige I had also is, accomplished a lot by the time I was 22, so that's, yes. that's cool, too. And The Prestige was, like, not her first memorable film, but it is it is one of her first big ones. And But, yeah, The Prestige, to me, Nolan has always felt so... Like this gener one of the this, this generation's best directors, and so it makes me think he hasn't he didn't start making movies till like 2010. Yeah, you know, I don't know why <laughs> right. I, I don't know why I feel that yeah, way. Right, um, not the but case. But a lot of it is because he picks. And even what's funny is you've got the reverse, which is almost like a Maggie Smith type thing, because Michael Caine always looks so old. Yeah, yes. so he also doesn't look like he aged. Even much. back in Miss Congeniality, <laughs> right? He looked old, <laughs> which is great, and. uh Speaking of miscongeniality in movies where people get glow ups, we need to get our glow up to the show by uh, heading on over to Shout Announcements. Welcome to Shout Announcements, the part of the show where we give shout outs and make announcements. It's a surprise every time. Yeah, I think uh, it's always new. It's always fresh is the thing. Um, it's like a, it's like snapping open into a crisp refrigerator, cool LaCroix. I think it's fresh. It's fresh in the same way that Subway is fresh, which is like, oh, that's surprising. Yeah. It's like, I didn't know lettuce could be that crunchy. Um, (laughs) crunchy. I didn't know tomatoes could be that wet. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a fresh adventure every time. At Subway, our first sponsor this week. Go to subway.com backslash two chunks and find out that that URL doesn't exist. I haven't been to Subway. (laughs) I haven't been to Subway in a long time. I don't particularly care for it, to be honest. I do remember at Subway, if you ask for mayonnaise on your sandwich, you got to be like, can I get mayonnaise? But wait, just a little bit because (laughs) they've already dumped your sandwich in the mayonnaise. They've already put it in, just shaking it around in the mayonnaise. Yeah, that's why they call it a submarine sandwich because the entire sandwich Mm -hmm. goes underneath the ocean of mayonnaise. Yeah. There was a there was a, a while there that um, Nickelodeon owned Subway, and then you would have the worker be like, "Fine," and they just pull this lever and yeah. just mayonnaise from the ceiling. You get mayonnaise, and slimed. then you get to go to Space Slime Camp, or you there. get a clear Nintendo sixty four. Ooh, 
but they they put it on your sandwich and you have to eat it on your sandwich. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, that's sort of the worst part. But if you if you get it to go, they can't stop you from taking it off and cleaning it up, which is always a good trick. Not a lot of people know that. This not is not relevant to what we're talking Anything. about, <laughs> which is the first thing I want to say, y'all out there. Did you know that we have a Patreon? That's right. You can become. I mean, I did. Sh- stop. I did. You're know breaking it. the illusion. You haven't let me get to the prestige. Okay, Ooh. carry me along on the turn. If you want to become a patron of our show, you get access to all sorts of subway conversations, mayonnaise-based conversations, conversations about movies that you only get access to, special episodes involving our wives, special episodes where we play different games. You get access to different parts of our website that are for patrons only. There is all kinds of special access, I guess, special content that's only for you. And I know, I know what you're thinking. I can hear you from here. But Jordan, I can't afford such an incredible product. Well, I have good news. You can, probably, because it's only $3 a month forever. That's it. $3. That's not even a Starby cup of coffee. No, I know you can handle that. And you get access Mm -hmm. to all that juicy Patreon goodness. I mean, you're just going from venti to grande. That's all it is. That's it. Once. One time. Once a month. Just get a grande instead of a venti. And I'm so conditioned by this podcast that whenever you start a sentence or a word with a V sound that you're going to say Vin Diesel. <laughs> so every time you said venti, I was like, yeah. V- oh, wait, no. <laughs> a vendi. A ventisol. Speaking of Patreon goodness, uh, we had... We much like every citizen of this fine planet, <laughs> we had lofty ambitions at the start of 2020. Uh, those have, of course, since been curb stomped into submission, and our lofty ambitions uh, are not going to happen. At the beginning of 2020, we had this grand promise with the launch of our Patreon, where we said, "Hey, the first however many people sign up for Patreon, we're going to get these things printed, these beautiful handwritten cards printed, and, and we're going to sign them. We're going to send them to you, and thank you so much for your contribution." And then it turns out everybody on the planet has germs that will hurt everybody else on the planet. So we are not going to be sending you mail. Yeah, uh, which would would be an awful surprise from us at this point uh, in the year 2020. But what we can surprise, offer, it's uh, a virus. <laughs> surprise, you're sick from your dumb podcast now. Yours truly, we, can- we coughed on this together. <laughs> Two, two coughs and a hunk. Very good, dude. That was nice. What we can offer all of our beloved patrons is a massive discount on our merch. Um, We are, we are in talks with our merch provider right now to, uh, to kind of determine that final number. So patrons keep your eyes peeled. If you're not a patron, now is also a great time to become a patron because you're about to be getting some serious couponage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't have to be a patron to buy our merch. Depending on uh, your and on your purchase of the merch, becoming a patron might actually like if you want to buy a piece of merch, becoming a patron might actually be cheaper than buying the merch full yeah. price because this is a pretty big discount. I would imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, we know that there are a lot of a lot of things happening right now in the world. Uh, that are worthy causes that are vying for your donations. And so we want to, I know we've said this before, but we want to reiterate um, that if there is a place that you feel your money is better served to do some real actual good in this world, and 
who knows? Maybe wearing our faces on your body will do real actual good. But there are certainly organizations that do more good for the yeah, planet uh, and more good for the people that live on if it. If it comes down to us. us or a worthy cause, we would encourage you to go worthy cause every time. Yeah. Please every single that. time. Every single time. Also, if you're looking for a worthy cause that involves us and is free, Ooh. it only costs your time. Um, listen, Melissa, Melissa Joan Hart is ignoring us. That's true. More than like Melissa I, Joan fart. Dang. Right. I mean, like a year ago, there's no offense to that from me. I don't even care. You know, like I don't expect stars to reach sure. out. Like one time I got retweeted by Rick Fox, who like owns a League of Legends team and played for the LA Lakers when they won championships. That was a big deal. I didn't expect that. But when someone, I'm not going to say blatantly, they very much have an idea that we did. If you don't know about this, real quickly, we wrote Feliz Navidad. We wrote Feliz Navidad in 2018 of December. uh, And it was starring Mario Lopez. Melissa Joan Hart, a few months ago, says, hey, my movie production company, Heartbreak Productions, is going to make a movie called Feliz Navidad with Mario Lopez. That's right. Podcasts don't skip like old records. <laughs> this thing happened twice, like back to back. <laughs> so at first I was like, and the three of us had talked, the four of us had talked, like, okay, let's at least try and see how far we go. But the fact that she keeps posting about it and we keep responding and retweeting like strangers that strangers that are saying things on Twitter, like, wait, what? And, and saying things like, wait, is this real? Like people are seeing it, Melissa. And so what we need from the Chunkies. It's you time. can't hide forever, Melissa. <laughs> I thought I was just, it was just going to be me. What's, what's, what's Saruman's uh, seeing eye thing that he has, like his crystal ball? What is that called? The Palantir. The Palantir. I thought it was just me and the Palantir. And I was going to be able to handle it here. The Palantwitter. It's like, it's fine. I can do this myself. I don't want to make other people responsible, but no. I'm up in the tower now and I'm going out and I'm looking at all the Chunkies and I'm saying, To what? I'm raising my arms and all of you are probably grunting back saying, let's do this. Can you do that for us? Let's, I I think we've got three people we can reach out to Melissa, Joan Hart, Mario Lopez and heartbreak productions. Let's pepper them a little bit. Again, you have other worthy causes. We should also mention that the heartbreak productions email, that was our first stop and it did bounce back. It's bounced back three separate times. And we reached back and said, how do we contact you? Your email doesn't work. And they have not replied to us. They haven't replied to that either. And here's the thing. Melissa Joan Hart, you're a big deal. you got like 6 million followers on Instagram. And Heartbreak Productions, I might not be the only one who just heard of this. You are not that big a deal. I'm not trying to reach out to Disney. I am not trying to reach out to Universal or Fox or MGM. I'm trying to reach out to Heartbreak Productions. And you're telling me you're so busy with your inbox that you don't see that? Hmm. I think you're only making this worse for you because now it's the, now the chunkies are here and you're in trouble. I asked my mom and she said, go ask your dad. Well, I know what's going to happen when I ask my dad. Mm. There's a penalty. And right now, Melissa, we're asking our dad, which is the chunkies. And I think there's going to be a penalty to come. We need you. We have such a confusing podcast family tree. Let's get, we do. Really and that's, let's it. get, let's get real. Let's get real nuts and bolts on this. What's the actionable step we're really asking from the chunkies. If you could give them one thing to do. So if you were to go to Twitter right now, there has been several times that uh, we have tweeted out either a clip of us talking about what happened on the recording 
uh, on on the actual podcast that you can share with any of these people and say, hey, what do you think of this? You know, just very politely be like, wow, so strange. I think the time, so I'm I'm over the Twitter account. And so when I've tried to reach out to them, it's like, man, can't believe we've been so like-minded. Can't wait to see this movie. Would love to talk to you about how we came up with the exact same thing, right? And so do that or pull from our Instagram uh, a post not too long ago that Doge put together that has several things that you could screenshot and send to them. Just I need them to see the visual of a post from 2018 on our Instagram showing Mario Lopez under the text Feliz Navidad. There's actual proof that we had this idea a year and a half before it was taken to production. So little things like that, go for it. And we can't stress this enough. Be kind. I know Carter Carter has called us to war, but it is a war that is waged with exceptional and alarming kindness. Yeah, it has been alarmingly kind. And if you happen to have any personal connections to Melissa or Mario. Number one, how how on earth did you rat us out and not feel terrible about it when you told them about our idea? Yeah, the more I sit on this, the more I feel like there's a connection. But, you know, whatever. My point is, if you got a connection to her, let us know. Because we need we need. I mean, this, this is going to be the most... This is already the most hyped episode of Two Chunks that there ever will be when we actually review this movie, Feliz Navidad. So it's going to get back out there with some traction of down downloadable traction. So I, I would prefer it happen pregame than postgame. But no doubt. No doubt. It feels like we're in a real-life version of The Prestige, and we're trying to figure out who can do the, the very special trick Feliz Navidad better. Yes. <laughs> the same man comes out of both doors. At the end, we like we win. And so we get, even though we don't have IP on it, we get control of the story of Feliz Navidad, only to look around and see in all of the in all of the, the water tanks that there have been so many iterations of Feliz Navidad. There's over the 1,000 Mario's Lopez. A thousand Mario's Lopez. If only. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are you paying attention? Good, because we're back to the show. We're back. The show that we do, the podcast. Talking about the prestige, you know, that Christopher Nolan jam. You know what I'm talking about. It's just me now, by the way. Everybody <laughs> else left. It's just me on the podcast. <laughs> I'm you just know, sort of talking to myself. You know, you guys remember in the prestige when he disappears? That was awesome. can't even believe that it. That was awesome. I think it's time that we talk about the David Bowie in the room. <laughs> the story of uh, Robert Angier's Hugh Jackman's character going to Colorado to meet up with Nikola Tesla and uh, mm-hmm. figure out if he can get some sort of special trick to do the disappearing man, transporting man. Sorry. I think, and it's such a weird sentence, that David Bowie is a brilliant cast yes. for Nikola Tesla. He's so good. It was Bowie or bust for yeah. Nolan. Bowie had originally turned it down. So Nolan flew to his house (laughs) and said, but David, it has to be you. It's always been you. And lo and behold, 
It's brilliant. That's such a brilliant cast. Have you guys seen the fan theory that Andy Serkis's character is the actual real Nikolai Tesla? No. <gasps> that he is, uh, that he's always the one who's like, Tesla doesn't ever do anything science-y without him in the room. And like, uh, he's the one who's like present at the actual event and all of that stuff. Uh, and it, it has to do with the thing that's like, uh, when he says Tesla is the key, uh, Angiers takes that to mean Tesla's built him a machine, but what he says is no, Tesla's the key because he's playing a role, and that's what I'm doing. I'm playing a role. Interesting. Which is Dead cool. I don't gum. know if that's true or yeah. not, but I I think it's open. Like I can't see a way that that yeah. falls apart. Um, because we do see that's consistent with what our two leads focus on when they watch a magic trick. Uh, yep. Angiers is always focused on how is the trick done, and Alfred is always focused on how is the trick presented. Hmm. Very good. Isn't that interesting? Yes, very much so. I love that a lot. Dude, David Bowie, I was looking through on, uh, like, is he doing any more movies? Because he's he's getting up there. Bowie was, he's 69, so he's almost 70. Um, just trying to look at uh, what he's known for. First of all, his filmography is pretty fun. It's like Labyrinth, Zoolander, The Prestige. <laughs> So it's all over the place. But I had heard rumor, and I'm trying to confirm that live. So he's not going to be in it. But they are doing a new Labyrinth movie. Hey, Carter, you do know that David Bowie's dead, right? Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. He died on January 10th, 2016. Wait, are you being serious? You didn't know that he was dead? I completely forgot. Are you serious? That he was dead. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I thought this was a bit. (laughs) Me too. <laughs> I was just along for the ride of the bit. It's I see. I started to see a crack when Carter was like, <laughs> "He's getting, he's getting old." I hope he does more movies. <laughs> oh, Ooh. man! Yeah, it was a big deal when he died. Yeah, I'd say at least minimally. Dude, Michael Jackson's new record's going to be good, though. I heard he's working on it right now. <laughs> oh man oops wow <laughs> wow <laughs> wow 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 oh man well regardless <laughs> i'm sorry i was thinking of the wrong rumor so he is de- definitely not going to be in the new labyrinth movie which there is going to be but his character will actually be played by kurt cobain so i'm sorry oh, oh yes yeah. hey <laughs> i want to talk about my super dump if I may, if that's all right <laughs> yes. with everyone. Yes, that's one of the two rules that we have for this podcast. Like the shock that David Bowie, uh, it's like he's died again for me because I remembered. <laughs> Do like, you need that's a, a bigger, sh- it's perfect that it's in the Chris Nolan series that this this twist happens. Dude, has anybody told me? <laughs> like, Rogers? it's been there the whole time. It's in the news. It's been there the whole time. And you still, you know, when you rewatch it, you're like, but that's obvious, Carter. He's gone. <laughs> Sorry. How about you throw your super? Yeah, I'd love there, to. Jordan. I did not get enough Andy Circus in this movie. I think he was mm. super underutilized, and I wanted more from him. And mm-hmm. uh, to me, watching through, that is go, okay. Going in to the movie, uh, I thought that my super dump was going to be. I thought I remembered that Scarlett Johansson's accent work was rough. It was actually pretty decent. It was pretty yeah, fine. It was my super dump is Scarlett Johansson's accent work. I thought it was pretty rough. <laughs> really. <laughs> hundred percent. Okay. Yes. Yeah. No, I thought, I thought it was fine. Um, I mean, nothing outstanding, but nothing glaring to me. That's funny. Uh, I expected for that to be my super dump, but man, 
Andy Serkis is just so, I was going to say electric. Andy Serkis is just so fun as, uh, was his name Allie? Um, as anything, yeah, like every true. time though. And, um, I didn't get enough. I want more. I want Andy Serkis in more Nolan things. I want him more in this movie. Uh, yeah, that's my super dumb. Talk about the accent work I feel that like I this thought was, was fine. Well, to Andy Serkis for a second, I feel like this is about the time that Andy Serkis was like, hey, I can be a human in front of a camera. Right. And they're like, no, <laughs> you put on this blue suit. And he's like, no, I can really be in front of the camera. And they're like, no, no you're King Kong. <laughs> you're King Kong, though. Uh, yeah, Scarlett's accent work is not great to me in this. And beyond that, like, there's no reason she can't be an American. That like, is true. I've heard her American accent, and it's pretty good. <laughs> it's very believable. <laughs> so why isn't she an American? Like, And maybe in the original novel, she's British. She's from London. And to that, I say, who cares? Let her be an American. She's good at that. Don't make her be from London. She's not great at that. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, that's fair. There that's is no funny. reason she had to be British, as far as I know. None. None whatsoever. That's a good point. Yeah. That's well, true. especially because her British accent is much worse than Hugh Jackman's American accent, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's metatextual knowledge that I bring to it, knowing that they're both doing accents and one of them succeeding and the other is not so much. Well, and even Hugh Jackman's British accent later is pretty good. It is good. Yeah. Um, I imagine that the bridge to cross from Australia into British is probably a little easier than others. Yeah, I'd, I'd think so. Yeah. But you just don't talk like a criminal. <laughs> talk. Australia is a criminal island. That's how it got started. I know, it's just funny. Guys, I love Australians. I know a few of them, and they're very nice. They're not criminals. Oh, gosh. They're Do not criminals. Steve, That's a history joke. Do you think Steve Irwin has heard about David Bowie yet? That one's going to sting. <sighs> wow. That was bad. <laughs> With the pun, though. The pun is yeah. too far. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, Doge, what, I don't remember what you called it, the style of storytelling that um, Nolan likes to do where all of the climaxes throughout the time frame end at the same time. Yeah, he's just cross cutting. So this is a great example of three storylines that are all cross cutting to end at the same time. We have our like our very very far back past, our, our like past, middle, and present. I guess is probably the way to to view these. Are you classifying the framing device of the beginning with um, Michael Caine and Alfred's daughter as one of the? So like the trial and execution, yeah, that's present. That's the present. Yeah. Uh, the very past is like putting together a show in in London, and then the middle is going to see Tesla and putting on a limited engagement show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see that. And you're including right? so daughter. You're including daughter and Michael Caine in the present as in its the own present. thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Because they don't quite all end at the same time, but we are cross cutting against a like a trilinear narrative, um, which is something that we're going to continue to see. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think it's done so well here. Um, I couldn't help but think of like what you were talking about, where tension is rising in three different places in different yeah. ways, all heading to three different reveals, three different climaxes, but they're all kind of happening simultaneously. Um, and I just think Nolan is so gifted at that particular type of storytelling. We've talked about it before about how the his style of storytelling is designed to make the audience feel very smart. Right. And I yeah. think it's because in that instance, he puts a ton of faith in the audience. The second that we cut to story A, you're going to be right there in that same moment that you were when we left story yeah. A. And when we go back to story B, you as an audience member are capable of setting aside story A and story C for a moment and engaging with the scene level conflict in story B. And then when we do that over and over and over again throughout the whole movie, that that 
treats the audience with a great deal of respect and says, I'm going here and I expect you to come along with me. And then we get to the end and the audience goes, wow, I can't believe I was able to do that. I must be pretty smart at movies. And Nolan says, yes, you are. Great job. Right. Yeah. Here's a gold star. You did it. But yeah. never, it never feels patronizing the way that things are revealed with Nolan. No, not at all. Good news on Chris Nolan. He is still yes, alive. Yes, I did read good, that. Good. I did read that today. I'm going to need you to run a check on all the, on all the people that we talk about. <laughs> Just run a yeah. check on those guys. He's also pretty young. He's 50. He's got plenty of career so ahead of him. So he's got a lot of good movies. Yeah. On the I, way. I think, I don't know, man. I, I feel like the best of his career could still be in front of him. I really do. That's saying I know. a lot. And uh, it's not to say that what's already out is weak, but just, uh, I just feel like at 50, he is nowhere close to slowing down. I can't wait for yeah. Batman starts over, The Darker Night, The Dark Knight Rises even higher. <laughs> those are going to be so good. Yeah, those are going to be great movies. Starts over. <laughs> Batman Batman begin, <laughs> begins again. Batman begins again. Batman. James Batman. <laughs> Batman began. James Batman, attorney at law. It's going to be called Batman Begat, and it's all about James Batman's son, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an explosive laugh from Carter. <laughs> um, I wanted to hold it back, I guess, and then I let's couldn't. talk about. I just could. Let's talk about the what what I think is is really sort of the true head to head here the two different versions of the transported man and sort of how our movie lands because of them. So mm -hmm. we have two versions with varying levels of showmanship of the same trick, both pulled off in two different ways. And I think that is one of the most interesting parts of this movie. We have yes. the Alfreds using the fact that they are identical twins to their advantage so that they can pull off the transported man looking believable. And then we have Angiers, who does it for, for real. real. I mean, clones himself. Um, I was reading in the trivia who that apparently in the book, he's like stopped halfway through it at one point and splits into essentially two distinct, like there is a, um, a physical body of Robert who has had like half of his life force drained basically and can't move very well. And then there's like a, a specter wraith version of him that has to concentrate to become solid. It's, it's It seems interesting. My goodness. That's I wild. think this is better. When you said splits in half, I thought it was going to be like onward where it's just pants. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, and, and I think this is better. And I love the question of that is raised at the end of is the Angiers that he's dealing with at the end of this movie even the same one that he's been mad at this whole time. Yeah. It's just so interesting. Yeah. But between that and like blind stagehands, the the buildup to the true transported man is nuts. Mm -hmm. So how does, when he does that, so we're, we're to assume that he uh, pulls the lever crunk and then does not know if he's going to be uh, the real one or the clone, right? He doesn't know which of the two Angiers he's going to be. At that point, the one time we see it happen the duplicated one, the one that appears outside of the machine, which we don't know is the real one or the double, the one that mm -hmm. appears outside the machine, and we're going to call him outside Angier. Outside Angier shoots inside Angier. Right? No, sorry, sorry. Inside Angier shoots outside right. Angier. Yes. So when we do this for real, how do inside Angier and outside Angier decide who's going to be on the stage? They don't. I So... My my interpretation, there's no deciding. It, I don't think it depends on whether he gets transported or not. My interpretation mm -hmm. is 
one gets transported and one stays behind every time. The one that I, I think yeah. the Angier that was on the the teleporting platform is the one that walked into it. I think the one yeah. that appears elsewhere is the clone, but the problem is clearly they both have full memory of everything. They think they're they the clone. They both yeah. think the other one's the clone. So the one that appears goes, I just pulled that lever and now I'm over here. He's the fake. Yeah. The one that pulls the lever goes, I just pulled the lever and I'm still here. That's the fake. So I, I that's why I think, because when he shoots, the other one goes, wait, no, I'm, and then shoots him. Yeah. And so I think mm-hmm. they both, because that's what he says, right? Which one's my hat? They're all your hat. Which one's the real Angie? Yeah. They're all, they're all the real Angie. Like that's the thing. Yeah. Crazy. And right. so I, so the duplication, that's, I think that's what I'm trying to yeah. get at is just so that we're all clear. The duplication is happening there on the stage. Right. That's not a trick. They don't walk into the beginning of the show with two Angiers and then decide amongst themselves who's going to do right. what. Right. Right. Seems like that would be easier. <laughs> it does. But that's the thing is Angier can't, can't handle not getting his own applause. Right. So neither of them would agree to that. Right. Um, and what a horrific way to die also, by the way drowning just terrible he chose it because uh michael Kai told him that it was like going to sleep right yeah but it's not but then says it's, it's not, not. I lied. he said it was agony it's very interesting um it's agony <laughs> thank you. it's not like going to sleep <laughs> it's agony the that was good the, that last agony was good it's agony that's i told you it would like go into there sleep. you go it's there you good. go it's agony the the other agony a minute ago was a little Jeffrey Irons, Jeremy Irons. It's sorry, agony. I apologize. It's agony. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Irons. Irons, how embarrassing! <laughs> that's all. That's more embarrassing than thinking David Bowie was. Still <laughs> Let's all alive. move on to Jordan. Man, now. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad the heat is off me, <laughs> Jeffrey Irons. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Only the most iconic lion, second most iconic lion voiceover actor ever. <laughs> yep. Wow. Um. Everybody's landing point is brilliant. I don't think we need... I think the ending of this movie has probably been discussed enough uh, throughout time by humans who have watched it, but I think that the important thing that I would like for us to hit on very quickly is, is there anybody good here? That's the question that I walked out of this movie with this time. Outside right. of the daughter? I don't I don't think that, uh, that Alfred is a villain. I, I think that he... The reason he doesn't know what knot he tied is because his twin tied it. Right. And I think his twin was They're talking with... They're both Alfred, by uh, the way. Sure, sure, sure. But you're talking about both Christian Bales or yeah. both Alfred, right? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Alfred doesn't know that Alfred... When he says, I don't know what knot I tied, it's because his twin right. tied it. Uh, I really think that they're... I think that both Alfreds are completely blameless and they acted in self-defense. You think even if the because first they, Alfred tied the knot that he was begged not to tie, you think he's blameless? He I don't think he was doing it no, for, to kill her. No, but he no, was told he wasn't it wasn't she safe. Said, she said, tie this knot. But she told him, tie this knot. And so for him, he's like, I'm respecting you as a performer. You know what you can do. I trust you. Go ahead. I'm going to yeah. tie that knot. Yeah. I really think that watching through, like the first time watching through, you're supposed to think he's a villain right. or a horrible person. Watching through this time, he's a dude trying to do a good right. magic trick. And had an accident happen to him, and this other magician got super angry about it and has made it his goal to discredit this magician and to end his career. And all Christian Bale is trying to do is preserve his career and act in self-defense. And Mm -hmm. he's justified. I'm not saying I disagree or agree with you yet. I'm just asking you, you think that he is justified in walking in and shooting and killing Angier? I think so because he killed his brother because he took everything from him. Now he can't do his trick. He can't perform anymore. Um, 
And I think that's that's the only time that he does something that would be morally questionable because he's given the opportunity to respond with violence throughout the narrative right. and he does not. Hugh Jackman shoots his fingers off and in retaliation, uh, all he does is pinch a woman's fingers he and He breaks her fingers, but yes. Sure. Uh, by pinching them very hard, so I was right. <laughs> he, pe- and then, he pinches. He, he pinches fingers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, like, the only other thing he does that's morally questionable is hijack his show and break right. his leg. Yeah. I, I really, really don't view him yeah. as a villain at all. No, I, I don't think I do either, just to be clear. It's just interesting. You know, the the landing spot is so different than the, like, sort of posit of the movie at the beginning. Sure. Yeah. This Hugh Jackman feels a lot like Prisoner's Hugh Jackman. <laughs> this Hugh Jackman guy, I think he's got yeah, I think a there's career. Some, I think there's something to him. No, he does. You're right, Carter. That he's like understandably grieving and angry, but it's just taking it a little too far. Like yeah. he is doing the too scene much. where he tries to hold his head under the sink, under the water in the sink, and then comes mm-hmm. out doing that like blubbery cry is very prison. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's some that's some dark some dark stuff. Who do you think? Like before we rate the movie, who do you think? of these two main characters sacrificed more. I think it's Alfred. Yeah. Alfred lost his wife. The other Alfred lost his, his lover. They lost fingers and his life. life. They lost fingers. They lost, you know, access to each other. I mean, yeah, I think, I think it is a tragedy when looked at from the perspective of Alfred. Yeah. Because there's just this other magician who decided to end his career. Yeah, I don't know. It depends on like, do we define, how do we define suffering? If we define it as loss, I think Alfred lost more. But if we define suffering as like distress, I think that Angiers was more distressed and unhappy because he never, ever got a time when he was doing what he wanted to do and happy about it. And Alfred got that. Yeah, I, I, I but I think that since there are two Alfreds, it's the only reason. So Hugh Jackman is the perpetrator of a failed and misguided revenge plot. Alfred is the victim of said plot. And the only reason it's failed because he did succeed. The only reason it's failed is because he didn't know there were two of them. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes you think, man, it really makes you think, man. I don't know. But then was, but then was he happy because he only ever got to live half a life? Oh yeah, no doubt. Maybe he wasn't happy. I don't think, I don't think he, were you saying he was happy? I don't think he was ever happy. I was saying I think there was a point where, aside from his like romantic and familial desires, I think there was a point when both Alfreds were happy with what they were doing and found a great found a great deal of fulfillment in doing a magic trick that nobody could understand, and it was the greatest trick of all time. And they've been planning for that their whole lives, and they get to finally do it, and they receive a little bit of of like the payoff for that. And I don't think Angie. It feels like when you're listening to a song in your car and you turn on your blinker and they don't line up, and then there's like. Or, or more accurately, when there's a car in front of you with their blinker on and you turn your blinkers on, they don't line up. And then for like two or three blinks, they do again and then they're off again. That's how it feels like the happiness yeah. of the two uh, Alfreds works. Like they're yeah. both so frustrated. And then mm-hmm. there's this little bit where they're in sync and everything's great. And then they start to just sort of be out of sync again. That's really good. That's what it, yeah. that's what it feels like to me. So let's rate this movie using science. The same science that Tesla uses to build the machine. We here at Two Chunks have perfected the art of rating movies using the scientific cinema scale, which is as follows. 
The best thing we could ever say about a movie is own it, don't lend it, buy buy that that poster. poster. The next best thing, let's buy it, followed by rent it, and then stream it. After that is forget it, and last, but certainly least, the worst thing we have ever said, or could ever say, about a movie. God has forsaken forsaken us. The asset has forsaken us. (laughs) The asset. Um, I will go first. Uh, I, while I am not sure if this is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. You had said that last week. I did see that. I did say that last time, but I'm thinking to the, what I feel is the stronger half of this series, which is going to be Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk, that I can't make that claim. It might be fun for us to come back and rank them at the end of the series. Yeah. Prestige is way up there, but yeah, no, you know, Jordan, we talked to you about like Nolan's best still mm-hmm. feels ahead of him, but he does feel like an outlier already because he hasn't really Correct. had anything bad. Um, so like what is best is best just means just as good as it's yeah, always been, you know, for me. And so that's interesting. Uh, I'm, I will buy the poster for this. I really will. Um, I think the prestige is unique and unfortunately for the illusionist, something had happened to compete against it in the same year and was absolutely squashed. You know, I was going to say, I don't think there's anything else like it. Um, And there's, there technically is, but then there's not because this won so handedly uh, at a kind of story that I really had not seen before that felt risky. Um, And it's, it's all beginning to be kind of this rhythm of Christopher Nolan that it's, it's risky and courageous um, and could have been certain things with just one wrong move, but there's really not any wrong moves. So it's a, I buy the poster for prestige. I'm going to buy the poster as well. Um, I talked last week on mini Monday, um, about uh, somebody has in the question of what is it that draws you to movies? Basically what tends to be your favorite thing about them? And my answer to that was the creativity of the concept. Like how often have I seen something like this before? Um, and I think with the prestige, the creativity of the concept is a promise that's made to the audience. Like, hey, this is interesting. You've never seen a movie about dueling Victorian illusionists <laughs> before. And the promise is made. And then the promise is thoroughly kept throughout the movie of this is going to be the most interesting story possible about dueling Victorian illusionists. And it's just there is nothing else like it. So easy poster for me. Yeah, I'm as hesitant as I am to start the tidal wave now. Um, yeah, just because I, I know, hopefully, you know, there's new thoughts that we're bringing to the table on these next three movies. I think that is inevitable, but I, I kind of know where I stand on them and I'm a little nervous that the prestige starts this movement of just like nonstop gushing about Christopher Nolan movies, but would you say it's the fast and furious? Yeah, I think so. It's like the fourth one that we're going to start loving all of them after this. Yeah, man, whatever happens, happens. Nolan if if he earns that, then he earns that. Because I think I have to buy this poster. I just don't know. It's such a good movie, man. And it's, mm-hmm. it is far and away better than so many directors, you know, third or fourth outing. Um, such a strange concept executed so well. It's just, you really start to, I think with the prestige, get a, even more than Batman Begins, I think you really start to get a feel for what Christopher Nolan is capable of here with the prestige. Yeah. You talk about risky and courageous near the beginning of his directorial career. Not only is he doing all this time bending stuff, he's taking one of the most recognizable superheroes and rebranding him. Yeah. In a that's way a good point that people 
people begin to think as canon. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I keep thinking about all the goodwill that one of these projects got him. Like, because in Batman Begins, he's working with Christian Bale and he's working with Michael Caine and he's working with Morgan Freeman. And then mm-hmm. in this one, he's like, this is his technically fifth, but his fourth like major release. And he's directing Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, Michael Caine, like Scarlett Johansson, who was blowing up. Then. David Bowie. He got David, David Bowie. Bowie. Yeah. He, at this point, four movies in, can fly to David Bowie's house and say, you have to be in my movie. And David Bowie's like, that's fine. I will be in your movie. But it's <laughs> wild to me, like the goodwill that he already has. Yeah. It's pretty unreal. unreal. He did it. I can't believe it. Hey, and the other thing I can't believe is that next week we get to talk about Inception, the next movie in our Nolan franchise. Wait, that was my idea. <laughs> I incepted it into your brainstem. You're, <gasps> we have to go deeper. I don't know. I'm done with references. Um, I think Inception is the movie that we will cover that has been covered the most. You think more so than Princess Bride or like Star Wars? Dude, I think like maybe. That. I think Inception invites dissection more than conception. I don't know. Hmm. I, was just, I was just trying to do Inception stuff. It failed. Reception? Mm-hmm. Like after a wedding? Or on That's your cell one. phone. That's another one. So there we go. We're doing really good. But make sure you tune in for that because I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really great. I'm really excited about that one. Me too. And as always, uh, like we do every week here, we wish you adieu and a splendid morrow, my good sirs and everyone, madam. Everyone, as, as always. Everyone stay safe going home. <laughs> To end today's episode, I'd like for each of us to say our name and what our stage name would be if we were a magician. Have we done this? Mm-hmm. I am. I yes. In our onward episode on Patreon, we gave our oh, wizard different. names. That's different. A little bit different. For two chunks and a hunk, I am Jordanian the Wondrous, and I am Chris. Archangel. <laughs> That's even higher than Angel. And I am simply known by Jareth. Ooh, Jareth. It's a deep cut. You'll be able to unpack it later once you search Jareth. I'm Googling it right now. Ah, I understand. Like, wait, let's end the episode before Jordan understands. I got it. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.